Today we, we hear the narrative of perhaps the, the greatest act ever performed by a human being. Now, I'm exempting a human being who is also God, Jesus Christ, but solely a human being, the Blessed Mother, her fiat, her yes to God, her yes to um, allowing God's plan of salvation to unfold through her, her allowance of, of God m- making her the new Eve, the one who would not fail, the one who would not rebel, as it were, against, against God, but the one who would say yes to God in all things and bring about the new Adam who would cure mankind of their sinfulness and open the gates of heaven. This is a great, great act. And the, the sort of conditions surrounding it make it even greater. Um, you know, why didn't God wait until she was married to Joseph, for instance? Right? It wouldn't have been as troublesome. But to become pregnant while betrothed but not yet married, right? the presumption is that this would have been a shameful act that she must have been engaged in. And then, of course, God speaks to Joseph and says, because he, I mean, you can imagine, uh, now he wasn't, you know, as holy as Mary, so you can imagine him finding out from Mary what she just found out. And she says, well, no, it, it was an angel who told me. And Joseph is thinking, yeah, well, this is kind of tough. But he knew Mary, right? I mean, he obviously knew Mary. He knew her virtue. He knew her holiness. It wouldn't have been lost on, on anyone, presumably because she would have stood out in that regard. Um, and so even, even Joseph is called to great heroism in accepting God's will being done through Mary. Now, there's many things that, that we can talk about relative to Mary and, and expound upon, I suppose, but I just want to focus on her yes, her yes, her fiat. Let it be done to me according to your word. That she has a disposition of being in relationship with God and ready to hear him speak, and then, of course, ready to do his will when it's communicated to her. This is the model of discipleship for every single one of us. You know, seeking to have an active, a real relationship with Jesus, with God, and waiting for him to speak to us, listening, therefore, and then being open to what he has to say. And then being open to do it once we confirm his message. But understanding God's will is not so easy. I mean, rarely do we have an infused experience of God, a theophany, another big word, Makes me feel good to use these big words. A theophany, this, this great manifestation of God. Another theophany is, is the burning bush, for instance, right? I mean, so she has this experience of the angel and God's message, 
right, this great experience. We don't normally get that. Sometimes we do, but we don't normally. So how do we know God's will? And furthermore, how many great evils have been done by people claiming that God told them to do it? God told me to do this, so therefore I must do it because I don't want to offend God. Well, but it's a horrible thing to do. Nonetheless, God commands it. Well, how do you know? So just a few, uh, a few caveats here. The first thing we need to understand about God's will is we need to understand a, a distinction between his permissive will and his sovereign will. Permissive will and sovereign will. God lets some things just happen. He doesn't will them to happen. That is, he doesn't want them to happen, but he allows it to happen. And those things may end up being evils. For instance, um, I was grounded through most of high school. And it's not even a lie. And, you know, and so those times when I wasn't grounded, you know, I'd say, well, I want to go out with my friends and uh, where are you going and, you know, how long are you going to be out and all that. And, and as a parent, you have to allow that freedom knowing your rotten son who's going to be a priest <laughs> is sometimes going to disobey. It's your permissive will that allows that to happen, but it's not what you desire to happen. You don't want your child to be disobedient. And by the way, teenagers, you ought not aspire to that. I was obedient sometimes too, so, you know, but I wasn't perfect. So sometimes I was disobedient. Just, and by the way, every single one of you were too. So, um, but as a parent, it's not your, as it were, sovereign will that, that sort of tells your child to be disobedient, but it's your permissive will that allows for the conditions by which they can misuse their freedom, right, to, to bring about that disobedience. So God did not will that Adam and Eve sinned, but his permissive will allowed it to happen. God does not will any evil, if we say that God wills it, God did it, you know, God uh, caused this horrible thing to happen, you know, this horrible earthquake or, or horrible tornado or plague or whatever it is, if God caused it, then God is the direct cause of evil and therefore, by definition, can't be God. Because if God is perfect, he is perfect in all things and he is perfectly good, therefore he cannot cause directly evil. So it must be his permissive will that for some other reason, God allows things to occur. His sovereign will becomes more difficult then. How do I know that God is telling me to do this? Now, number one, sometimes God doesn't care. <laughs> that sounds horrible. But people will come to me and they'll say, Father, you know, I, I, I'm looking at buying this new car. If this is you, don't get mad at me. But I'm looking at buying this new car, and I just don't know if God wants me to do it. To which I usually say, I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares about the car. 
I think he cares about what you think of the car. I, you know, there's nice cars, there's not so nice cars. You should have seen the car I drove in seminary. It was a five-speed uh, Toyota Corolla 1980-88, and it had 354,000 miles. And I had to keep one of the, the headlights on with duct tape. Um, it was fantastic. And I drove it across the country many times. Things you only do when you're in your 20s. Um, so you, you understand what I mean by, by God doesn't care about that particular thing. It doesn't mean God doesn't care. That's not what I mean. I just mean that sometimes we think God cares about more things or the wrong things than we think. Right, God cares about how attached we are to the material good. I don't think he's particularly concerned about whether it's an electric car or not. I just don't, I think he has bigger, bigger things going on. But then there are some things that we really want to discern well. Is God calling me into, uh, you know, into the seminary, into the priesthood? Is God calling me into the religious life? Is God calling me to be a deacon? Is God calling me to marry this, this wonderful woman and this wonderful man? Is God calling me to a vocation, uh, you know, uh, like being a teacher or a doctor or, you know, something like, or, or something else. What it, because I think God is active in all of that. And, and how is he active? And what it takes is, we see this disposition of Mary, it takes, number one, a relationship with him. We have to be in communication on a regular basis. And the reason is because then we kind of begin to know what he wants out of us. Because we're in relationship, just like anyone else. The more that we're in relationship with them, it, it's not that we can read their minds, but we have a pretty good understanding of what they would want from us. Or if we were to ask them their opinion, as it were, what they might say. It's not a whole lot different from God. But if we're never checking in with God, or, or rarely, and if that's where our relationship is at, it's going to be really difficult to, to just connect with God and to figure out what he's saying, or even what his voice sounds like. So that's the first thing, the disposition um, then of being open to what he says. Open to what he says. Maybe he says no, and to be okay with that. And then, of course, the readiness to do it. Once we know and once we've confirmed, okay, this is what God wants. Now, remember what I was saying about bad things being done in God's name. Again, even with God's sovereign will... He will not ask us to do something evil. One of the principles of morality is do no evil that good may come. Two wrongs don't make a right. Right? The road to, you know, is paved with good intentions. And we have all kinds of colloquial ways of, of talking about this. It's embedded really in our culture. Not that we necessarily obey it, but the idea is that God will not ask us to do something evil to bring about some other good. And in fact, it's immoral to do it. Now you might say, well, Father, maybe not with that voice, Father, my wife came home with a new hairstyle. And she said, honey, do you like it? And I hated it. What do I do? If I lie, is that what you're talking about, evil? Well, there are gradations of evil here. 
You might say, well, why do you bring that up? Because of all you guys out there who've asked me, what do I say? Honey, I've, I've, I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> Sweetie, that is a singular hairstyle. Sweetie, only you could pull that off. Or the really sappy, dear, I love so much about you that a hairstyle is superfluous to that love. <laughs> you know, obviously there are certain circumstances where there's a little bit of coercion going on, right? There's a little bit of mitigation of freedom. I'm not talking about these, these lower level sorts of issues. There are things to, to be questioned. I'm talking about big stuff, generally. You know, God, is, God does not want us to do evil that good may come. So as we're discerning, what is he asking me to do? If he's asking us to do these horrible evils, as some people in the world claim, no, that is not what God would do because God would not command evil. The other thing that we see with, and this is the last thing I'll point out, the other thing that we see with the Annunciation story from today is the angel tells Mary this is what's going to happen. And she immediately is in kind of disbelief. What? How, how can this be? Like, I know how it works. How can this be? And then he explains to her how it can be, because God can perform miracles and does. But then the angel even gives her a way to confirm the message. He says, Elizabeth, your, your relative in her old age has also conceived. In other words, amazing things are being done by God. Go see Elizabeth and have this message for you confirmed. And that's exactly what she does. The reason why God also, I mean, it wasn't just because of John the Baptist, who's going to be born of Elizabeth, but the reason the two are, are sort of brought together in, in these amazing, amazing events is so that they can strengthen each other, so that Mary can go to, to her older relative, Elizabeth, and, and look for counsel, but also look for confirmation. And so when we think that God is speaking to us, it might be good to ask someone else hey, this is what I think God is telling me. What do you think? Don't do it. Are you sure? Don't do it. You know? Or somebody might say, yeah, you know, that's, that's right? You might get more of a positive feedback from that. You, we need to rely on each other. Rely on each other for that, that sort of feedback and support. Be there for one another. God is still doing great things. And God wants to do great things in your life. You just have to let him. Every single one of you, young and old, God still has great things to do in you and for you. And this Sunday reminds us to have confidence in that and to have hope that he is active, he is near us, and he is here for us. Please stand.